And another thing And another thing And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement. And here we are again. Here we are again. (laughs) Together. Working together. We're in this together, Tony. We are. uh, Together but apart. But yes. You know, I I hate to... I I didn't want to start the show like this, but I, I just we were just reading some social media posts. And we all know how encouraging and optimistic Twitter usually is. Oh, um, yes. There was a post there from, I think, one of these doctors that got a lot of attention during the pandemic. Uh, is it, I don't know how to say, is, is Dr. Shakawi? Or Shik- I think he was on TV a lot. Um, but he just posted, like, out of the blue, I'm sure because, well, I don't know. Man. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why he would post what I'm about to say. But he posted something along the lines of, just randomly, my kids will be going back to school with masks to promote being a good neighbor for their grandma, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, why, why, why would he feel the need to put that out there other than simply? Well, it was, it was announced alerting today. everybody like, look at me. You know, it was, announced, it, it was announced today that in the province of Ontario, they would, they will not be requiring masks at school. Yeah. But okay. But that I get that, but it's like, whether they do or don't like it's just like it's like you have he's has to let everyone know like oh yeah you know it's i hate using the term virtue signaling because i whatever but it's like it, it is like that to the nth degree hey by the way everyone that wasn't interested in knowing i'm going to be sending my kids back with masks yeah I, no but you're, i think you're right i they they want to distinguish themselves from the these terrible people these terrible parents yeah, these terrible. who are sending their kids back to school with without masks on. I, I, it's so bizarre. My word. It's I so got bizarre. three young ones. I got, well, one will be six in a couple in a month here. So I've got a nine, an eight year old, a six year old and a, a three year old. And yeah, it's uh interesting times for sure. But anyway, on a positive yes, on note, that happy, on that happy that, note. <laughs> we, we got to give a shout out obviously to our presenting sponsor each week, John Mutton and the team, at Municipal Solutions, and of course, I know you'll mention something about this, but John Mutton's birthday was yes. just a couple days ago, yeah. And so we we recognized him uh, online, and we thanked him and, and congratulated him on his birthday. And uh, yeah, we we are so happy to have their support. Uh, Municipal Solutions has been with us since day one. And Tony, I know that you can share a bit more about what they do. Yes, no, uh, John. Of course, happy birthday. Let's uh, get that on the record. Uh, I think we sent it out on our. Uh, Instagram page as well, but uh, his company, Municipal Solutions, they are Ontario's leading MZO firm, Municipal Zoning Orders. That means if you need a development approved or permits expedited or planning services with municipalities, you want to get something on track, and they also do engineering services and architectural services, even minor variances or land severances, go to municipalsolutions.ca. They can help you out. John and the team are there for you. And then we also want to recognize another sponsor we have, the Muskoka Chef, Julie. The Muskoka Chef is a female-owned local food service company that serves the Muskoka Lakes region all year round. 
and their services include on-site and off-site catering, private chef experiences, and micro-wedding catering services. A lot of weddings going on in Muskoka right now, that's for sure. Uh, They are located on Lake Joe, and they deliver food by car to your front door, of course, or by boat to your dock. Now, summer 2022, we're in the final stages. There might be a couple of spots still open. I'm not sure, but they certainly have spots in September 2022 and beyond. And she also offers vegetarian, vegan, and gluten-free options as well. Go to themuskokachef.com or call Julie directly at 416-846-3653. And finally, let's not forget our friends at Hunter's Bay Radio. They are rebroadcasting our podcasts on terrestrial radio at 8.30 a.m. every Saturday morning. You can go to huntersbayradio.com. And last but not least... Looneypolitics.com. You can get exclusive content um, that you can't get anywhere else, including news articles, videos, and podcast episodes like ours. All you got to do is become a become an annual subscriber. Use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. Again, that's looneypolitics.com. You know, Tony, while you're rhyming off all those, like, you know, all the sponsors and everything, because we have like that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have millions of supporters. We're we're that freaking big. But anyway, while you were reading all those off, it like made me think for some reason. Like you would have been a good Rod Roddy. Remember him from The Price Is Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like right. I could see you. I feel like I could see you like visually, like given the prices of of those uh, prizes and going over the you know telling the the details of what those people could win and all. There was, all, there was always the dinette set. That's what. There's always a dinette set involved. You're going to Spain. You'll spend four fabulous nights. And anyway, you'd make a good Rod Roddy. Thank you, my so, friend. Thank anyway, you. Is he dead? I have Probably no idea. Dead. Boy, oh boy. That's a oh, long time Bob ago. Bark- is Bob-, Bob Barker's dead, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So Rod Roddy. Well, of course, I'm going to have to Google that now. But And now, anyway, we, have to, now we have to do an RIP for Olivia Newton-John, You now that you brought up well, dead celebrities. Yeah. She's, she was 73, eh? She was younger yeah. than I thought. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he I died know. in 2003. Oh, my goodness. Holy smokes. We hardly knew you. I was going to say, so he was only 66 when he died. Just a young man, my okay. friend. Guess where he was born? He's from Fort Worth, Texas. I've been to Fort Worth. Great little town. Well, really, it's a big town now, but you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, on that note. <laughs> on um, that note this show's probably, going well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this, is, this, this show went off the rails faster than most, so... Anyway, well, we should introduce our guest. Let's, let's, why don't we introduce our guest? I think we'll get us back on track. We're, we're actually very happy that uh, Jamil Giovanni has agreed to join us today. He is the author of Why Young Men, The Dangerous Allure of Violent Movements and What We Can Do About It. He is also now the president of the Canada Strong and Free Network, which is a think tank and a do tank. I can say both, I think. And he is a frequent contributor to the McDonald Laurier Institute, and of course, the National Post. Welcome to the program, Jamil. Great to be with you guys. Now, I'm going to start with one of your most controversial views, which was on display just this week. You wrote that Drake is boring. (laughs) Tell us why. Well, you you know, it's a. am sure you were joking when you said it was one of my most controversial views, but it actually might be, at least among my friends and family. That's what I've gotten most arguments about so far. Um, 
Basically, my argument is that Drake has been kind of doing the same thing uh, for like 15 years now. His musical content is pretty much unchanged for over a decade. Uh, he had a new song come out last week, which borrows uh, uncreatively, in my opinion, from the Bee Gees song, uh, Staying Alive. He basically just repeats the exact same chorus and then tells us about all the women that he's going on, out with and on dates with. It's the same thing. And I just think like as the world has changed dramatically over the last couple of years, I think it's exposed which artists are able to speak to the cultural and political experiences of young people and that is predominantly who is in drake's audience and uh, there are rappers and artists who do do that well and i compare drake to a rapper who grew up in uh, bc in alberta named tom mcdonald he's the same age as drake uh, also the same age as me he's uh, in los angeles now and he raps a lot about depression and alcoholism and politics and like real things that people are going through, especially, you know, since the pandemic took its toll on our communities and now we've got an economic downturn. It just feels like Drake's message is a little bit out of touch with what a lot of people are going through. So that's why I think he's boring, mostly because he's just giving us the same things, regardless of, you know, what, what direction the world is turning in. I personally feel that I saw Drake at the high water mark. I saw him in 2015 at Coachella. And that was the time when Madonna just somehow bounded on stage and gave him a full mouth kiss. I don't know if you remember that moment, but uh, I do. And I love the idea that you were in the audience for that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I was shocked, shocked. But uh, yes, it was uh, definitely not something that we had anticipated was going to happen. And I think he was shocked too. But I think that's the, that's now the, the, uh, he's, he was at the summit at Coachella and maybe it's gone a little bit downhill from there. I don't know, but thank you for, for displaying some controversy over Drake. I think it's much needed, but you also recently wrote about the pervasive and divisive, I guess, adherence to critical race theory in our schools, in our governments, in our corporations. Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about critical race theory. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when they hear critical race theory, it, uh, conjures up images of American culture wars and, you know, some people wanting to talk about racism all the time and others wanting to deny it exists. And I think um, critical race theory is more nuanced than that, especially in Canada, because critical race theory is not really about talking about racism. I think we're at a point where we're sophisticated enough, most of us, to acknowledge that different people are going to experience life in different ways, and we should be open-minded to hearing what that looks and sounds like. But critical race theory is a bit more of a problem, in my view, than just conversations about inequality, because it sort of demands inequality exists, even if we have made progress to change something, that it is sort of this underlying racial bias within all of our laws, all of our policies, all of our businesses, all of our community groups. And therefore, we're in this perennial position of some people uh, like myself being labeled victims, regardless of, of what we might do and the changes we might make and the activism we might engage in, and labeling other people, mostly uh, white people and white men in particular, as uh, perennial oppressors. And that sort of ideology, I think, um, has the potential to be harmful and divisive. 
especially when it's embraced without critical thinking. And that's sort of the ironic part of it is that crit- critical is in the terminology. Um, you know, it, it makes people think that they're sort of going against the status quo and they're asking tough questions and they're, you know, standing up against the man. But the truth is that it's been embraced by the man. Every major corporation, every major government office, every school board has embraced this ideology to some degree. That's why terms like systemic racism and white privilege, ideas that weren't really part of our discourse just five years ago, are now something that everybody's expected to either say or at least pretend they agree with, even if they don't. And that, I think, speaks to a pretty dramatic change in how we talk about racism and inequality. And it's one that I encourage Canadians to just reflect on. I mean, is it actually a good change? Are we solving problems? Are things getting better? Or perhaps at a time where class inequality is getting worse because of problems like inflation and rising cost of living, we're actually being encouraged to divide ourselves rather than see what we have in common, which I think we're in a unique historical moment to really see that we're going through very similar challenges, regardless of what we look like. Is Canada a racist society based on your kind of lived experience? No, I wouldn't say Canada is a racist society. And I, I, you know, I appreciate that that's a uh, a complicated question. Some people, when they hear it, they think that it's about history. And I do think it would be ridiculous to suggest that there's no racism in Canadian history. We're, we're all very aware of that. I think Pope, Pope Francis's visit to Canada really um, was an opportunity to reflect on a lot of those historical injustices. So, um, But in terms of Canada today, do I think by and large we are a racist country? No. I think if you look at so many different measures of that, whether it's the performance of, of people who immigrate to this country from all over the world, the opportunities through education and employment that people are given, the fact that we have one of the highest educated populations in human history when it comes to post-secondary attainment, the fact that we are fighting things like child poverty all over the country from coast to coast to coast. Um, There's so many measures that you could look at and say, do people have a fair chance regardless of what they look like or where they're born? Is it perfect? Absolutely not. And there are important changes we need to make. Personally, I think most of the issues we face today are more class oriented than they are race oriented. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to say is racism and race and that type of, you know, physical characteristic the best and way to explain why some people might be dealing with poverty or uh, underfunded schools or a variety of other issues. I don't think race is the best way to explain that in 2022. It's funny you should mention that because uh, this has been, uh, you know, there's been a lot of attention recently on uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, for instance, and, uh, you know, uh, there are some theories building up uh, and the recent re-election of the Ford government in Ontario buttresses this theory that that the NDP has lost its connection with the blue-collar workers who are now flocking to conservative solutions and conservative parties, uh, which you wouldn't have thought of if if the if there if we were in a class-based ideology clash, right? But Maybe maybe that's part of the story there that the NDP isn't interested in, in class issues anymore. It's more interested in in uh, these issues of identity politics, and it's it's having an impact on their voter base. I think that's exactly right, Tony. 
if you look at what's happening in the world right now, I mean, the left, the political left, the cultural left, institutions like the NDP, um, you know, certain pop culture institutions, media organizations, universities, it's become common for a lot of these places that used to be voices for the working class and the middle class to now literally call the majority of working class Canadians privileged. I mean, that's how they, they have taken race as a proxy for inequality and are now calling people who are working class and middle class in this country privileged during a time of unprecedented inflation and economic inequality and a housing crisis and all sorts of stuff. So it really shouldn't be a surprise to someone like Jagmeet Singh that his rhetoric, his ideas, the way he approaches politics, just it's not resonating with the majority of people who used to rely on the NDP to provide a voice for their experiences working class families. The other issue I would say too is is where culture and class start to intersect. Because the truth is, these days a lot of people feel like you need a graduate degree just to be able to speak freely and not worry about being canceled or mobbed on social media. That you've got to talk like someone in a university seminar to be able to uh, address what's happening in the world around you without fear that it's going to come at some cost to your career or your reputation. And the truth is that that is a very elitist way of influencing politics and culture. So I think a lot of people who maybe th- think the NDP's ideas around something like dental care or child care might be good for them are also worried that do, do people who are, are in this party even like me? Do they want me? like me to even talk? Do they want us to have a voice? Because every time someone like me opens my mouth, it seems like I've got to be afraid they're going to try to cancel me. And that, you know, relationship between economics and culture is something that I think elitists who identify with, you know, left-wing politics have completely lost touch with. Let me uh, bring it back to your day job. Uh, You're now head of the Canada Strong and Free Network. Uh, Why don't you uh, tell the audience a little bit about that and what... uh, Canada Strong and Free is doing and uh, what you hope to do in the future? Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm 34 years old. Uh, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm also an unapologetic conservative. Um, you know, I know some people find it uncomfortable to talk about politics, but it's something that uh, certainly the three of us aren't <laughs> afraid to touch on. So I, I, I say I'm unapologetic because I think I'm part of a generation that has been led to believe we are supposed to be a bit afraid or cautious, tentative maybe, of identifying with conservative politics. And, you know, I say that as someone who grew up in a single parent household, I grew up in a mostly Jamaican and Sikh community in Brampton. I don't come from a background that people typically associate with conservative politics. But I identify as a conservative because I genuinely believe that policy ideas from a conservative perspective are best for uh, the average Canadian, the average working and middle class Canadian. So this role that I took on a couple months ago as president of the Canada Strong and Free Network is about bringing that perspective to the largest conservative networking organization in the country. We host conferences that, you know, Tony, you've spoken at before in different cities, including Ottawa, including Red Deer, Alberta. We do events in all sorts of different parts of the country. And my view is I want to uh, grow the conservative movement in Canada by making it a place that is welcoming, a place that offers opportunity to millennials and Gen Zers, people of different backgrounds, people who have had different life experiences across this country, but also connecting us 
to people of older generations who have been part of the conservative movement for a long time and have tons of wisdom and insights about how we might lead this country in a better way moving forward when that great day comes that Justin Trudeau is no longer our prime minister. So I think of my my role as creating these networking opportunities that are going to bring different generations together and really look at you know, what do we need to do to grow this movement so conservatives can govern well and govern with everybody's needs in mind, that there are no blind spots. And I know that's a hard thing to accomplish, but I think it's important that we're aspirational and that it can be a moonshot for us to be the kind of political movement that everybody across the country sees themselves represented in. So you must be in a good position to answer this, or I'm, I'm, I'm positing this anyway. What is the state of Canada's conservatism? It is a great question. And I think the honest answer to that is we're a bit fractured at the moment. I think in different parts of Canada, you get a different kind of conservative politics. I think about the differences between, you know, Western Canadians in Alberta and Saskatchewan who feel like they're not being heard, who feel like their economic interests are not being respected by the rest of the country. I look at uh, what's, you know, in Quebec where you've got, you know, Premier Legault, you've got a growing conservative party of Quebec as well. You've got um, a number of people who, you know, believe that part of conservatism in this country should be respecting uh, language rights and, and history and culture. Um, and then you look at a place like Ontario, where I think we're we're very f- focused on um, institutional leadership and providing some of the core services of government, like education, healthcare. But I think there's a bit of an identity crisis on some of those things. Of what does it mean to be a conservative who cares about education, who cares about healthcare policy? So I, I do see us being fractured, and and I think, of course, the the ongoing conservative leadership contest has has revealed some of those fracture lines. Certainly, it's been a more spirited, perhaps a more divided leadership race than some people expected. But I am optimistic, Tony, that once we have a leader, um, that you know he or she will be able to bring these different groups across the country together and recognize that part of Canadian conservatism may be acknowledging different regional priorities and different regional styles and approaches, but ultimately providing that national vision for how we can all be running in the same direction together. So that's the challenge facing the next leader of the party. And to the extent that, you know, that is true for the movement as well, I would say that's where an organization like Canada Strong and Free comes in, where we want to be able to bring those different regional groups together at the same time. Yeah, and I think you've you've made the point. It's it's regional. It's also a little bit class based, and as you know, with the I, I I should say it. I mean, the rise the rise of populism in a Canadian version of that. I'd love you to speak to that a little bit because there there is a feeling that there's uh, an established group of elites that have uh, not been running the country terribly well. Um, it has very different grounds as a populist movement than, say, in other countries where it can be anti-immigrant or some of these other things. I don't, I don't really see that as part of Canada's populism. But uh, tell me a little bit about that, what you're observing on that front. I think you're right that there is a unique Canadian style uh, of populism that's emerging. And you're absolutely right that it's not one that is similar to what we've seen in other places. We are not seeing anti-immigrant sentiment. 
Um, and I think that's important. So many of us identify with, you know, immigrants in our ancestry, or many of us are immigrants. We're seeing record numbers of newcomers entering Canada, and we're not seeing a divisive backlash to that. So there are people who want to force Canadian populism to be like populism in other places, but it just doesn't resonate with reality, in my opinion. And I think the good part of Canadian populism is that it is bringing attention to the fact that many of the institutions in the country have let uh, Canadians down. I mean, it's hard to look at the last couple of years and not conclude that people who had a certain amount of wealth and power had a very different experience during the pandemic than people who were struggling in this economy, uh, who are struggling with health issues, who didn't have the option of working at home uh, over Zoom or Microsoft Teams. I mean, the reality is that like a lot of things were exposed as far as our institution's inability to respond to the average uh, working and middle-class family. So our populism, I think, is emerging as a call to be sensitive to that and to say, look, we need to make some institutional changes. But I do think our populism is nuanced enough to not uh, destroy our institutions. I think it is still informed by a certain level of respect for who we are and the, the high quality of life that most Canadians enjoy. And so the, our populism feels more balanced to me for that reason. I, it bothers me that there are a lot of people in uh, news media outlets, particularly places like CTV, CBC, Toronto Star, uh, that really don't want to acknowledge that difference and take every opportunity they can to try to label Canadian politicians on the right as though there's no difference between them and Republicans, for example, in the US. And I think that is just so dishonest and so short-sighted. We really do need to respect and embrace the fact that we have a different identity and different priorities here. You know, and, and that's a really interesting point because, uh, you know, you know better than most as someone who does write for media, as an as an example, that uh, conser Canadian conservatives do have a hill to climb with establishment or established media. So what what is the best way to win over Canadians, given that media environment and, uh, you know, the fact that there's some of these entrenched interests? Well, I think on this issue, Pierre Polyev and his campaign have probably have the most sophisticated thinking of any, you know, national politician I've seen in recent memory, in the sense that they do have a, a strategy to connect with Canadians across the country without going through the traditional media outlets. And I think it's actually uh, something I worry about for the media companies is I don't think they realize how much they're sacrificing their own credibility by being so biased and unfair and having their own agenda. And what that's produced is the reality that we have a record number of Canadians signing up to be members of the Conservative Party of Canada, a record amount of donations being made to Pierre Polyev's campaign. And yet very little positive press about him from most mainstream media, which shows, I think, how irrelevant a lot of mainstream media has made itself that through social media, through his own email lists, through his own in-person events across the country, uh, Mr. Polyev has been able to establish his own relationship with Canadians um, across uh, every province. So if I were a news media company, instead of being so hostile to someone like Mr. Polyev, I think I would be saying to myself, what are we missing here? Because obviously 
they've they're slow to to realize what's happening in this country and i think the the trucker convoy earlier this year also exposed that that the media had been so used to telling one side of the story they didn't realize how much frustration was growing from very legitimate um you know sources that there were canadians who are business owners and professionals and thoughtful people who are not conspiracy theorists or anti-vaxxers, but were just concerned about their rights being infringed on. And the media was just taken by surprise about what was growing in this country over a two-year period. So I look at the media right now, and I think they're in a, they're in a crisis stage where they've got to really decide, do they want to be relevant, in which case they need to approach their jobs differently, or if they want to continue being out of touch, you know, this is exactly why they need bailouts from Justin Trudeau. Right. Jody, we're near the end of the interview. Do you want to intercede with anything from your point of view? No, I'm still upset about the Drake comments. So <laughs> I just haven't been able to move on. He's so. He's been triggered. He's now a victim, Jamil. He's a victim. <laughs> well, I, 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 will, I will say, Jody, I am open-minded to Drake proving me wrong and showing he's got some new tricks up his sleeve. So I, I, I await his, uh, his next album with bated breath. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All good. Well, Jamil, uh, we're going to leave it at that. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been fantastic you having you on the program. We really, uh, I, I threw everything I had at you, and uh, we had some really quality discussions. So we, we very much appreciate being on the program. Well, it was great to hang out with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Another excellent discussion. Uh, definitely definitely a, a, a guy with a very unique perspective, but uh, he, 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 words, he, send, he messages it very well. Yes, no, and he's thought awesome, very, very much about these issues. So that's why I wanted him on because uh, he's a very thoughtful person, and uh, you know, uh, I think we we have to start addressing some of these issues. They're not cut and dried as uh, some of the people in the establishment would would say they are. Yeah, and I I used to listen to him on CFRB ten ten their news talk, and I I thought it was I thought it was a bad move getting rid of him, but. Uh, we didn't really get into that, but no, we probably, didn't. But I mean, probably know, has some sort of NDA. I'm talking about that. Yeah, anyway. you know, and just uh, just just so so toxic in the media these days, and you you can't. Uh, I'm glad that he's out and about. He's he's doing uh, good work for the conservative movement and for Canadian society generally. That's the important thing. Do you think he did he has he run before? I feel I feel like he has, but maybe I'm wrong. Somewhere somehow no. I'd have to check. I'm not sure. He sounds like someone that could run. Yeah. I mean, he should be a candidate for office at some point, I would think. Yeah. So we'll see what, uh, we'll see what transpires there. So yeah, that wraps up another episode again. Thanks to the crew at municipal solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. Each week they present the show. Uh, Don't forget also loonypolitics.com. Become an annual subscriber for access to exclusive content. Simply use the code, podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. And Tony, I know that you can thank our other partners. Yes, I can, Jody. Of course, the Muskoka chef, Muskoka chef, Julie, uh, she's ready to take your requirements for whatever you're planning, whatever event that might be at the Muskoka chef.com or at 416-846-3653. And don't forget that our podcasts are rebroadcast broadcast on terrestrial radio at huntersbayradio.com every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m. All right, we'll do this again in seven days. Sounds good.